0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We speak Psalm 80 responsibly. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine upon us, that we may be saved. Hear us, O Shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who sit enthroned between the cherubim. Shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might. Come and save us. Restore us, O God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us, that we may be saved. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the Son of Man that you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us, that we may be saved. Please be seated. Our Advent Nativity reading for this evening is a number of Bible passages from various portions of the Old Testament and some New Testament selections as well. Tonight, the theme that you're going to hear throughout is this idea that there's going to be a descendant, a descendant of Adam and Eve, a descendant of Abraham and a a descendant of David, and so on, who was going to come and be the Savior of the world. So we begin. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and everything was made by Him, and not one thing that was made was made without Him. And God saw that everything that He made was very good. The snake was the smartest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he asked the woman, Did God really say, Don't eat from any tree in the garden? We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say, Don't eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden and don't touch it or you will die. Oh, you're not going to die. No, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God and know what is good and bad. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good to eat, a delight to look at, and what anyone would want in order to get wise, she took some of its fruit and ate it. And then she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked, They sewed together leaves from a fig tree and made skirts for themselves. At the time of the day, when there was a breeze, they heard the Lord God walking in the garden. And the man and his wife hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. The Lord God called the man, "'Where are you?' "'I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. "'Who told you you were naked?' Did you eat some of the fruit of the tree that I ordered you not to eat? The woman you gave me, she gave me some fruit from that tree, and I ate it. What did you do, woman? Well, the snake tricked me, and so I ate. Because you did this, cursed are you among all the animals, tame and wild. You will crawl on your belly and eat dirt all your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your descendants and her descendant. And he will crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. One man brought sin into the world, and his sin brought death. And so because all have sinned, death spread to all people. After this, God tested Abraham. Abraham, yes, Take your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the country of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the hills that I will point out to you. Early the next morning, Abraham harnessed his donkey. And on the third day, Abraham looked and he saw the place in the distance. And then Abraham said to his servants, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship when they had come to the place God had mentioned, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. And then he bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the wood on the altar. As Abraham reached for the knife and took it in his hand to sacrifice his son, the Lord's angel called to him from heaven, don't lay your hands on that boy and don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, for you didn't refuse to give me your only son. When Abraham looked around, he saw behind him a ram caught by his horns in a bush. And so Abraham went and got the ram, and he sacrificed him as a burnt offering instead of his son. Again, the Lord's angel called to Abraham from heaven, I swear by myself, because you did this and didn't refuse to give up your only son, I will bless you richly and give you many descendants. Like the stars in the sky and the sand in the seashore, and your descendants will capture the city of their enemies, and in your descendant all the people on earth will be blessed. This is a record showing how Jesus Christ was a descendant of David and of Abraham. But that night the Lord spoke to Nathan Say this to my servant David. I took you from the pasture where you followed the sheep, that you should be a leader in charge of my people Israel. When your time is up and you lie down with your ancestors, I will give you a descendant who will come from you, and I will establish his kingdom. And he will build a temple for my name, and I will make the throne of his kingdom stand forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. If he sins, I will punish him with the rod of men and with the blows inflicted by men. But I will not stop being kind to him as I did to Saul, whom I put out of your way. Your royal house will stand firm before me forever, and your throne will stand firm forever. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Because he has visited his people and prepared a ransom for them, he has given a descendant of his servant David to be our victorious saviour. The Lord again spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God to give you a sign. It may be something as deep in the netherworld or as high as the sky. Oh, I will not ask it. I will not test the Lord. Listen now, house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you must also weary my God? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look. Look. The virgin will conceive and have a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel. A child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulder and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government will grow and there will be endless peace to establish his rule on David's throne and to uphold it with justice and righteousness now and forever forever a shoot will come out of the stump of Jesse. And I'm going to send my messenger to prepare a way for me. And the Lord whom you are looking for will suddenly come to his temple. Yes, the angel of the covenant whom you delight in, he will come. This ends our reading. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we're going to be spending some time over the next three Wednesday evenings talking about announcing the Advent. And we're going to specifically be looking at announcing the Advent to Mary, and then to the shepherds, and then to the world. And so tonight we're going to be focusing on announcing the Advent to Mary and you'll note if you're looking at the handout that you received when you entered into the sanctuary that this is kind of like a Bible study format. In fact, I call this, John said, what is this? And I said, this is like a sermonic Bible study. And I said, I think I made the word up, sermonic, but it's, it sounds nice. But it's a sermonic Bible study and typically when I've done sermonic Bible studies in the past, I don't stand in the pulpit, I, I stand out there and we literally have interaction back and forth, but because I'm on camera and because we have a... worshiping audience out there I'm going to stay here and make use of uh, the pulpit I guess and do most of the talking. Anyways I invite you to get out your Bibles if you are so inclined the the Bibles in your pews that way you can follow along and if you have a pencil or something your pen you can take notes if you're so inclined as well. Those of you who are at home I hope that you've been able to download this uh, bulletin uh, and are able to follow along as well. And because this is a Bible study, I never know exactly how long it'll be. But uh, John was saying I have till 8 a.m. tomorrow, right? right? <laughs> so anyways, we'll see. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so anyways, the words that we're about to read or that I'm about to read are an introduction to the greatest story ever told. In these verses, we will see that Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 become literally flesh and blood. Galatians four four and five states, but when the when the set time has fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. And so, we're going to be turning in our in our Bibles to Luke chapter one verses twenty six through thirty eight. And so, as you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter one verses twenty six to thirty eight. Just want to remind you that it has been about six months since the angel Gabriel has appeared to Zechariah. You may recall from your reading of, of Luke 1 that the angel Gabriel had appeared to Zechariah and had told Zechariah that he and his aged wife Elizabeth, they were both aged, that they were going to have a son. And Zechariah had scoffed at that idea. And as a result of that, he had been muted. Literally not able to speak. Well, now, as I said, it's six months since the angel Gabriel has visited Zechariah. Now it's about 70 miles northeast of Jerusalem where we're going. And we're going into a little village surrounded on hills by hills on, all, on three sides. And Gabriel once again makes another appearance. This time, he's going to visit a young lowly maiden whose name is Mary. We read Luke 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, And then the angel departed her, departed from her. You know, the scriptures actually have scant information about Mary. There's probably even less about Joseph, but there's definitely not very much about Mary. And yet, there's at least three strokes of the painting that may be found in this section. In other words, we learn a few things, don't we, about about Mary. I mean, what do we learn? Well, first of all, we learn that her name is Mary, right? But Mary is just a woman who lives in a little town of Galilee called Nazareth. Nazareth is one of those hick towns that most people would never have journeyed to. It's just one of those things that you kind of went around, so it wasn't very well known. Certainly not a place that you would expect god to come from or god's son to come from but we learn her name is mary we learn that she is from the town of nazareth in galilee we learn that she is a virgin a virgin and we also learn that she is betrothed she is betrothed to a man named joseph and joseph is from the house of david That means that she is now in a committed relationship with a man who has promised to marry her. They have not yet had sexual relations, but they are in the eyes of the community, so to speak, married. It's just a matter of going through the ceremony, ultimately. Martin Luther said of Mary, She came of poor, despised, and lowly parents. Even in her own town of Nazareth, she was not the daughter of one of the chief rulers, but a poor and plain citizen's daughter, whom none looked up to or esteemed. To her neighbors and their daughters, she was but a simple maiden, tending the cattle and doing the housework. Yes, when you hear the name Mary, one often thinks of words like insignificant, lowly, Impoverished. These are adjectives that are often used to describe Mary and her plight. And yet we're told that she is highly favored by God. The psalmist says, Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly. And the angel affirms that she is indeed highly favored by God. I mean, was there something pure or innocent about Mary? That made her stand out from all the other virgins that the Lord might have chosen? No. No, there was nothing pure or innocent about Mary. It was God who made her precious. It was God who made her honorable. It was God who blessed her. It is God who chose her to be the mother of God's Son. Mary, you see, was a sinner like all of us, and Mary needed her son to be her Savior too. This promise, or this statement that is made by the angel Gabriel, is really a fulfillment of Isaiah 7, verse 14, isn't it? A passage that we heard earlier, where we read, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel. You know, that passage from Isaiah chapter 7 not only tells us something about the woman who will give birth to Emmanuel that she's a virgin, but it does tell us something about the child that she's going to bear. This child is also going to be God in the flesh. Our Lord Emmanuel. We turn our attention to verses 31 to 35. This is really the heart of the announcement. We read, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? Since I'm, an, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. These are truly remarkable statements that are being made here. As the angel Gabriel gives insight to the fact that this baby born to Mary is both truly man and truly God. Verse 31 describes the human nature of the child. He's going to be conceived in the womb of a woman. He's going to be birthed into this world by a woman, just as you and I were conceived and born into this world. He is going to be a boy. He's going to be Mary's son. And he's going to be given a name an earthly name, Jesus. But we also learn in verses 32 to 33 that this boy, this Jesus who is conceived and then born into this world, is also truly God. He is said to be the Son of the Most High. He is said to be the Son of God, that He's going to be holy because He's going to be conceived in a miraculous way, which the Angel's going to describe to Mary in short order. And he's going to be a king whose kingdom will never end. Speaks to his eternal nature. Yes, the angel tells Mary what the name of the child will be. Later on, an angel tells Joseph what he is to name their son, Mary and Joseph's son, Matthew 121 says she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. And why? Because the angel says he will save people from their sins. Yes, Jesus had to be truly human. So that he might ultimately die on the cross for our sins. He needed to be truly human so that he could step into our place, so to speak, and be our substitute and bear our sins for us. So that we might ultimately be forgiven and healed. But he also had to be truly God so that he could appease the wrath of of God for the sins that we have committed. He had to be truly God so that he could then conquer Satan and death once and for all. And so this baby that Mary is going to conceive in her womb and who's going to, she's going to bring into this world is both truly God and truly man. Can you imagine if you were Mary in that situation? What would be your reaction? Well, at first glance, Mary's reaction, verse 34 how will this be since I am a virgin, is a lot like Zachariah's reaction when Zechariah heard that he and Elizabeth were going to have a son. When Zachariah said, well, how can this be? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. But if we look a little closer, we see that there is, even though the responses sounded very similar, they're very different. One of the responses, Zachariah's response, was spoken from skepticism, unbelief. Zachariah scoffed at the idea that he and his aged wife could have a child. I mean, her womb was barren. They were well past the age of being able to have kids. He didn't believe it. And for his unbelief, he was muted. He was not allowed to speak until John was birthed into this world. Whereas Mary, Mary, you know, she asked too, you know, how will this be since I'm a virgin? But when we look a little deeper, we realize that hers wasn't a doubting question. She was bewildered, yes, as I think any virgin would be. What do you mean I'm going to have a child? How can this be? So she was bewildered, but she wasn't skeptical. She wasn't unbelieving. Hers is a clarifying question. Can you just explain to me how this is going to happen? I mean, I'm a virgin. How will I conceive? And then the words of the angel in verse 35 are so very reassuring to Mary. And what are those words that he speaks? What sign does Gabriel give to Mary? We read, and the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. The angel points Mary to another miraculous birth. Not a virgin birth, But the womb of Elizabeth has been opened up, so to speak. This womb that was as good as dead becomes home to a living child who is John the Baptist. And the angel assures her that this has happened. This is a sign to you. But as miraculous as that is, Mary's conception is even more miraculous. The angel Gabriel says that the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow her. The same Spirit who hovered over the waters and brought forth creation in Genesis 1-2 is now going to create life within her womb. The presence of the Lord that overshadowed the tabernacle and the, glory, and the glory of the Lord filled that tabernacle, that same glory of God is now going to overshadow Mary. And she's going to conceive a son in a way that no one else has ever conceived a son. But the Holy Spirit is going to come upon Mary and she will conceive Jesus as holy, as sinless. He is the Son of God. He's truly human, but without sin. And I might point out to you that this is the moment of the incarnation of the Lord. I know on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, we talk about the incarnation of Jesus, the birth of Jesus as the incarnation. The reality is it's at the moment of his conception that God becomes a man that God becomes a zygote, a fetus, a little child in the womb. It's truly remarkable, isn't it? This is the wonder of God's love. This is what we meditate upon and reflect on and stand in awe of. As we go through the season of Advent and Christmas and we ponder the love of God that he would come into the womb of a woman and be born into this world so he might ultimately suffer and die for our sins. But not just to suffer and die for our sins but to then rise from the dead and promise us that we will live with him forever. Mary's womb becomes the temple of the Lord. The third statement that the angel makes is maybe even the most important. The angel says, For nothing is impossible with God. The same almighty power that sent the angel from before the throne of God to announce the advent of his son is the God who stands behind this message that the angel delivers. And what is Mary's response to this message? Verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary serves as the model, doesn't she? She serves as the model of the humble hearing of God's word and the submitting of herself to it. She's the example for you and me. "Lord, I am the servant. I'm your servant. Let it be according to your word." Just put yourself in the place of Mary for a moment or two, and imagine some of the thoughts that must have been going through her mind as she pondered the message before she even spoke those words, do you think she was experiencing like fear? Or bewilderment? Or apprehension? Awe? Joy? Yes to all of the above, right? (laughs) And yet she says... Behold, I'm your servant. May it be according to your word. What times in your life can you think of when you approached the unknown with similar kind of feelings? You didn't know what the future held, but you approached it with you have fear, bewilderment apprehension, awe, joy? Because you knew deep down in your heart that the Lord was guiding you, that the Lord Almighty was beside you, and you knew that he would never abandon you. He knew where you were going before you even got there. Look at verses 39 through 56, the response of Mary. We've seen one of her responses. Now she's going to break out with joy, isn't she? But we read, At that time Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and she greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice she exclaimed, "Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear; but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her." What do you think prompted Mary to travel to see Elizabeth? Probably the most obvious is that, well, the angel had said to her, Elizabeth's pregnant. And so Mary, you know, I'm going to go. I'm going to go visit her. We can be pregnant together. She wanted to share in the joy of childbearing. Maybe she wanted to go and encourage Elizabeth and also to be encouraged by Elizabeth. Maybe there was maybe a little darker side to all of this. Maybe Mary was the rumor, was the, was the t- main topic of the rumor mill in Nazareth as people gossiped about her. Psst, did you hear Mary, that woman that's an outstanding, you know, woman, pregnant? Yeah, what do you think there? As you can see, why Mary might have wanted to get away for a time. But as Mary approaches Elizabeth, Notice the title that Elizabeth gives to Mary. What does she say? She refers to Mary as the mother of my Lord. And Elizabeth also reveals something that only she would know. And what was it? Little Johnny, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb when Mary entered into the presence of Elizabeth. Leap for joy because John the Baptist, little Johnny, was in the midst, in the presence of the Messiah. And Elizabeth remarkably says, Mary, you are the mother of my Lord. It's no wonder that as Mary listens to these words and this confession of faith from Elizabeth that she breaks out in song that she breaks out with the Magnificat this hymn of praise she says and I'm beginning in verse 46 my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant and from now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me holy is his name His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. And he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent away the rich empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And then we're told Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months. then returned home if you look at that hymn that Mary sang the Magnificat you would see that there's many reasons for which she gives for rejoicing I think it's worth noting that Mary magnifies the Lord she's just simply thankful and rejoicing because God is God No other reasons. Well, she gets into some reasons, but initially it's just like, my soul glorifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. Just knowing God is God gives us reasons to wake up in the morning and give Him thanks and praise. Just for who He is. Our Creator, our Redeemer, our Sanctifier. But she also says that she rejoices in God my Savior because she recognizes that she's a sinful person, too. She needs the Messiah for herself. She needs God to be her Savior. And of course, as she watches Jesus grow up, and watches Jesus not only grow up, but ultimately die on the cross, she recognizes that Jesus, her Son, is her Savior. And that just as He died for the sins of all the people of this world, so he also died for her sins. But even at this early stage, when Jesus is just being knit together in his mother's womb, she acknowledges that she can rejoice and magnify the Lord because God is my Savior. And she goes on to rejoice in God's mercy in verse 50 and 54. She mentions it a couple times She rejoices in God's mercy which is so evident of how and it's evident in the way that he intervenes in the life of his people and how he continues to do so. He did so in the past. He's doing so in the present in her condition and he's going to do so into the future with the Savior and with the forerunner John the Baptist. And so she magnifies God because of the births of John and her own son Jesus. And then the climax of her song it really reaches its crescendo in verses 51 to 53. She makes some contrasting points, doesn't she? Verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his armies. With his arm, I mean, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but what has he done? He has lifted up the humble. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, and what has he done with the rich? Sends them away. Yes, God is merciful to his people. He's merciful to Mary, this lowly, humble servant, who's simply willing to do whatever the Lord calls her to do. And she sees that this merciful God has been merciful to people throughout the history of her people. He sa- she says in verses 54 and 55, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. She kind of quietly concludes her hymn by reviewing the meaning of what she has stated in the rest of her hymn. Mary's song concludes with a reference to Abraham. Remember the reading I read to you earlier tonight, where God said to Abraham, one of his descendants would be a blessing to the nations of the world, Mary now acknowledges in these words that she's got that descendant, that seed of Abraham growing in her womb. And he is coming to bless the nations of the world. He's coming to bless you and me with his mercy, with his forgiveness, with the certainty of life everlasting. Mary took God at his word when he announced the advent of his son. She took God at his word, even though it was a great mystery as to how his word would be fulfilled. For Mary, it meant personal involvement, very personal involvement, and even much sacrifice. And it meant a lot of heartbreak in her lifetime. But it also meant an opportunity for her to praise God for his faithfulness. Just think of a time when God changed the direction of your life. Just as, like he did here with Mary. Well, that's pretty significant. But no doubt you've seen times in your life where God has changed the direction of your life. How might you describe your feelings at that time? Is there an area in your life right now in which you simply need to trust Or place your trust in God and follow His direction, even though you don't necessarily know where it is that He's leading. But you do so with the words of Mary on your mouth and her faith planted in your heart, so to speak. Where you say, Behold, Behold, God, I am your servant. Let it be according to your word.